Thank you as a church for your generosity. Um, for seven years now, Jenny Creek has done a great job, and my wife Linda has done a great job in uh, just directing our children's ministry, but we've prayed and we have given and we have stepped out in faith, and because of your generosity, and you know it's been uh, about five or six months now, we've been saying, man, we just need a family pastor and we're going to believe, and uh, thank you for your generosity uh, to allow us to bring on uh, the Swayze's. And thank you for your generosity for the little church out in Peshastin. I'm happy to report this morning that we have raised enough money to buy the Peshastin church brand new doors, glass doors. So thank you for your generosity. You know, we were hoping to raise the money in four weeks, and we actually raised it in two weeks. And that speaks to your heart, your heart of generosity which is one of the qualities of Jesus. We're talking about how we can spark kindness, spark understanding, spark generosity within our families, within our workplaces. And I particularly chose the spark of generosity today because I wanted to affirm these two wins. I mean, this is big stuff that we get to hire a family pastor and we get to help a struggling church in a nearby community because of our generosity. But generosity goes far beyond what we give. And that's really what I want to concentrate on this morning. If you have a Bible, if you'll take it and turn to Luke chapter 6, verse number 38. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we'll have the scripture on the screen or you can... Uh, Go to Uversion on your smartphone or your tablet. Go to events and you can find uh, the notes there. The focus of this whole series called Spark has been to challenge myself and to challenge you to ignite, to ignite goodness, to ignite kindness, to take it upon yourself to be the one that begins putting these things into motion. So often we sit back and we want somebody else to do it. Boy, I wish someone was more kind. I wish someone else would be more understanding. I wish someone else would do this or do that. But the scripture is very clear and we'll see it this morning. It all begins with us. We are the representatives of Jesus Christ in our families, in our church, in our community, in our nation. And as representatives of Jesus, we need to have a higher standard. We need to be bigger people. We need to hold ourselves to the standard of holiness that's been established by Jesus and is outlined in the Word of God. And that's tough to do sometimes. It's easy to be nice to somebody who is nice to you. But Jesus raises that bar and he says, no, generous people are generous not only in their giving, but in their attitudes, in the way they respond. In fact, if somebody needs your shirt, you're to give them your shirt and your coat. The Bible says, don't repay insult with another insult. When someone insults you, can you allow the Holy Spirit to find something to compliment that person on? See, it's a higher standard 
And generosity isn't just about giving of money. It is a lifestyle. Jesus said, do good even to those who have absolutely no interest in doing good back to you. And it seems to me that Jesus' command to love your enemies has probably never been more counterculture than it is today. I mean, it's an attitude that is conspicuously absent, particularly in our national conversation. Our cultural values are not to love our enemies. It's to blame our enemies, to belittle our enemies, to tease and make fun of them, to tear them down, to shame them. But as followers of Jesus, we have got to follow the standards, not that our national leaders might, might put for us, but our spiritual leader, who is Jesus Christ, who tells us, treat people with dignity. All humans are made in God's image. Treat them with dignity. This spark of generosity should be the thing that drives you and I, that people can see the love, the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in all of our actions. No matter if it's work-related, no matter if it's family-related, we should be doing all we can in every situation to set that tempo, to ignite this spark that becomes a flame that will build into a fire that can be passed along to, to those around us. As the saying goes, be the change that you wish to see in the world. Like many of you, I'm an armchair quarterback. And we sit back and we think, they should do something about that. They shouldn't be treating their neighbor like that. They should be more kind. But really, the Bible says, no, it's all about you and me as followers of Christ. We need to be the one that sets the course, that's the spark that makes the difference, that changes the culture of your workplace. And that's what we've been talking about in this whole series. Our actions can inspire others in a godly way, in a good way. And today I want to talk about this, uh, this law of harvest, that if we are generous in our forgiveness, in our grace, in our mercy, in our understanding, if we are generous toward others, we will reap the benefit. Because eventually, whatever you do is going to come back to you. That's the law of the harvest. The Apostle Paul put it this way in the book of Galatians. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. It's a spiritual principle. You will always harvest what you plant. And Jesus taught that principle often. And particularly here in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, he summarizes this entire principle of the law of harvest in one single verse where he says, Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Now I want you for a moment 
to do something that will be very difficult. But I want you to take money and finances out of the lens that you look at when you read that scripture. And I know that's hard to do because we've all watched the televangelist on late night TV. And we've all heard sermons about this verse applied to money. Usually goes something like this. Why don't you give me money and then God will give it back to you. Now, the fact is, and it is true, this verse does apply to money. But Jesus is not talking exclusively about money here. This is a principle to all areas of our life in this arena of giving. Not in a self-serving kind of way, but in a way that we can bless other people. You see, in this verse, Jesus is not talking about really the secret to receiving. And that's where we've twisted it sometimes. Do you need something? Then give so you'll get it back. That still has the focus on us as individuals. And that's really not a true rendering of what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about this is the secret to accumulation. This is the secret to receiving. That's really not his heart. He's talking about the secret to living. Specifically, the power of a generosity-driven others-first lifestyle. And that is what God wants all of us to do. Put others first to be generous toward them. And at the risk of repeating myself, I just want to say again, when I talk about generosity, I'm not just talking about your checkbook. Man, you guys are so generous. As I said, in two weeks, we raised the funds to help another church. You've always been generous. I was going through some files in my, my office last week, and I ran across an article, and this is probably 20 years ago. The Assemblies of God owned a little building on 9th Street, and we decided to, uh, to sell it to the Church of God. Church is still there, Pastor Bob Acklin. And in that process, they asked me to come and do the dedication of that church because I was representing the Northwest Ministry Network at the time. And I knew that they had a need, and I'd forgotten about this. But this congregation gave $1,000 for me to take to that church dedication to give to Pastor Bob Ackland to help that church of God on 9th Street. So this whole thing about generosity, it's not something new. You know, it's not just about Peshastin. It has been your heart, and I appreciate that, and I affirm you for that. But in most of those areas, we are talking about financial kind of giving. But there's other areas that God wants us to be generous in. Maybe service. Maybe time. Maybe talent. This entire book, or this entire verse, I should say, found in this book is in the context of being generous in our lifestyle, challenging us to be open-handed with grace, open-handed to forgive, open-handed to encourage people, open-handed to be friendly, open-handed 
to give someone companionship, to express gratitude to someone. And with that in mind, on the back of your program, I've listed three aspects that I think are important out of this verse of an other's first lifestyle. In order to live the life of generosity that he's challenging us to live, first of all, we have to understand it starts with us, with me, and with you as an individual. It's not what it says, give and it shall be given to you. It needs to start with us. Sometimes we get kind of immune to verses like this because we've heard them taught, we've heard them preached, we've read books about them and articles about them, and they become so commonplace that we just need to come before the Lord, I think, sometimes with a, a blank piece of paper and say, Lord, will you show me new, fresh insight into this verse? See, at some point, all of us have looked at this verse backwards. And part of that's because of teaching. Part of it's just because of the evangelical culture. But that's a problem. Sometimes we, we want to say, yes, we will sow after we reap. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we sow and then we reap. But if we're not careful, and it's happened to me, it creeps into our thinking, oh, well, we want to be generous. We will sow after we reap. And that can be revealed in our words and our attitudes. Well, I'm willing to change if my spouse changes first. You know, I, I, I want to be a person of gratitude, and as soon as my life gets better, I'll be sure to give God thanks. You know, I'll give 100% of my job when I have a job worth 100% of my effort. What? That's not what Jesus is teaching. I've had people say, you know, Pastor, I'll, I'll really get serious about giving as soon as I have more money. And I'm not being critical because that thought has kind of crossed my mind on occasion. Is if God supplies it, then I'll give it. That's not what the scripture says. It says we plant the seed of generosity in our attitudes, in our forgiveness, in our encouragement. We're the ones that set the motion to the abundant life that God has for us. And don't you want to live the abundant life? That's what Jesus has for us. John 10, 10 says, I've come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. We all want the abundant life. But what we don't understand is we are personally responsible to set in motion that abundant life that God wants us to live. Several years ago, John Ortberg wrote a book. It's, it's a really good book. I would recommend it. It's a good read. What I really like about it is the title. The title is, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. It's not great. We all want to walk on water. Not many of us want to get out of the boat. We all want to reap people's forgiveness and people's appreciation and people's encouragement, but we're not always first to give that appreciation, to give that encouragement. 
And the Bible makes it clear we've got to make the first step. I think most of us would be really generous if we won the lottery. You know? And we're prepared to be loving and kind and supportive if we ever encounter people who, you know, are worthy of being supportive and loving and kind toward. <laughs> but now we got to take the first step. That's backwards thinking. If you want to experience the abundant life that Jesus has promised, your attitude and my attitude needs to be, God, help me, because it starts with me. I need to make the first move. My mom always told me, Jerry, if you want friends, you need to be a friend. You know, I was a, just a fat little kid who had a speech impediment and I couldn't talk. No, I'm serious. I, I, I had trouble making friends. And she would say, Jerry, if you want friends, you've got to be a friend. My mom was teaching me this principle and I wasn't even aware of it. But she said, it's your move. Now think about where you are today. Let the Holy Spirit, in just a moment of reflection right now, not at the end of the service, but right now, just in a moment of reflection, where might the Holy Spirit be calling you to make the first move? In forgiveness, in being kind, in understanding, in just being generous. Where would that be? In your life. Where's God calling you to make the first move? The second aspect of generosity-driven lifestyle is to remember that it does come back your way. Whatever you plant will produce a harvest and you will reap it. We know that's true of sin. The Bible says, make sure your sin will find you out because it's part of the law of harvest. See, generosity kind of works like this boomerang here. You know? We all know what a boomerang does, or at least is supposed to do, right? I mean, I could throw this boomerang, and it should come back to me if I properly throw it. And you've seen YouTube videos and you've seen people in Australia that are very, very skillful in using a, a boomerang. Now, if I were to throw this boomerang out there, I'm not sure it would come back. But it's not the fault of the boomerang. Is that a great boomerang? My friend, Pastor Sal Damari from Praise Center Foursquare Church, a few years ago, his son was down at Hillsong School of Worship in Australia, two-year program. His son went down there, and uh, he and, and uh, Pastor Sal and Rhonda went down to visit him. So he brought this back, handmade from Australia. I promised to take really good care of it and not to throw it. <laughs> but if I threw it and it didn't come back, it would be what is called an end-user issue. <laughs> You know, it's not the boomerang's fault. It's that I haven't properly thrown it. Sometimes we want to reap this harvest of forgiveness and kindness, and we want, but we don't see the harvest in our life. It's not because Luke 6.38 isn't true. It's because somehow we haven't been responsible enough 
to do the things that we need to do to plant the seed. The point I'm moving toward here is Jesus said, when you give, what you give does come back to you. I need to be more patient with people because I need people to be patient with me. You know? And it's interesting, isn't it, how Jesus phrases this? Oh, you've heard this. I've heard it a lot. But I'm not sure I ever knew exactly what it meant. <laughs> In NIV and King James, it says, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Well, that sounds good, but what does that mean, really? This is a, a time that we need to go back to the context. And we often should do that in the scripture. Go back to the context of when it was written. What was society like at that time? And what Jesus is referring to here is a very common marketplace custom of that day. The farmers would go to the market to purchase seed. Now think how important that seed was to them. They would plant it. They would reap a harvest. They would sell the harvest. That would be the livelihood for them and for their family. This seed was really important. And it wasn't like now you go down to egg supply and you get a 10-pound bag of seed. In this day and age, you took your bag with you to the market. Now think of, you know, bringing a gunny sack to the market and saying, I need some seed. The man would then negotiate a fair price and the seller would begin to pour seed into that sack. Now, there were some sellers that had extra good customer service. And a savvy, customer-oriented seller would not just pour seed into the sack, but once the sack got full, he would then take the sack and begin to shake it. And he would shake it so all the seed would settle down and it would make more room at the top. And then he would take something that kind of looked like a wooden paddle and he would begin to press the seed, compact the seed down into the gunny sack so he could get even more seed in there. Then he would fill it up again to the brim, even causing a few seeds to spill out over the top. That was the context when Jesus said, and I'm not just going to fill your bag. It's going to be shaken. It's going to be pressed down. It's going to be running over. A farmer is always going to go back to a merchant that gives that kind of customer service. It's good business strategy. But it's also a spiritual principle here. But as I quoted earlier, your sins will find you out. There's also an opposite, negative strategy. I don't know how many of you have ever bought a bag of, like, Lay's potato chips. <laughs> have you ever noticed they're not really distributed in good measure? I mean, there is a huge bag. It's enough to hold hundreds of chips. And you open it up, and all of a sudden, it's like a balloon. 
and all the air dissipates from the bag. And you look down in the bottom of the bag, and there's a dozen broken chips down there. Jesus is saying when you give, what you give comes back to you. And it's not just a principle Jesus taught. It's a principle Jesus grew up with. It's a principle the Israelites applied to their lives. King Solomon talks a lot about it in Proverbs chapter 11. It's full of the law of harvest principles. In verse 17, Solomon says a kind man will benefit himself. Why is that? Well, it's because if you're kind to others, they'll be kind to you. Proverbs 11.24 says one man gives freely, yet gains even more. Proverbs 11.25 says a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will he himself be refreshed. It's the same principle that Jesus is talking about here in Luke. The most wonderful news in the world is this principle works in every area of our life, not just finances. Two weeks ago, we talked about just being kind. Last week, we talked about understanding people, giving them a listening ear. It works when you refresh other people, when you encourage other people, when you bless other people. It always comes back your way. In Proverbs 19, 17, the scripture says, if you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord and he will repay you. Proverbs eleven seventeen. I quoted the first half, but the second half we can't ignore because it also has to do with the law of the harvest. Proverbs eleven seventeen b the second part of the verse says, but a cruel man will bring trouble on himself. So Solomon is saying here is, man, one man gives freely and gains even more. Another man withholds unduly and he'll come to poverty. It's just the simple law of the harvest. You reap what you sow. Kindness, generosity, love. But if you sow anger, if you sow bitterness, if you sow resentment, that also will come back to you. Because our actions and our attitudes work like this boomerang. And for this reason, each of us, man, we need to make it a habit of asking ourselves, man, what kind of boomerang am I tossing into the air when I say those words? What kind of harvest am I sowing when I demonstrate this kind of action? It starts with us. It comes back to us. And the third aspect is that it will follow the standard that you set for yourself. Let's look at the final phrase of this verse. It says, the amount you give will determine. That's the standard. The amount you give. You want to give a little bit? You want to kind of give halfway? Do you want to give abundantly? The amount you give will determine the amount you give back. So ultimately what that means is my level of contentment, 
my level of joy, my level of abundance, my level of generosity is all determined by the standard I set. Now that's pretty profound when you think about that. Think about how that would work in your marriage. Your spouse will at some time say something that will require your forgiveness because they're human. If you withhold that forgiveness, when you make a mistake, your spouse may not be inclined to extend grace your way because the standard you've set is not to, not to forgive. Or you might say, you know, I'll forgive you, but then you keep bringing it up. Remember that time in 1986 when we were in the car on the way to Omaha? And why do we do that kind of stuff? Huh? And if you keep doing that, that's the standard you set for yourself. If you're kind to others, if you're forgiving, if you're thoughtful, if you're polite, that will be the standard. It's very clear, the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. You set the standard for the abundance that God can pour into your life. So I challenge you, ask yourself, what standard have you set in this area of generosity? Again, try not to think money. Try to think outside that box. What is the measure you're using in compassion? in forgiveness, in understanding, in compassion, and patience. And see, the unfortunate thing about this verse is that some have tried to apply it in this kind of self-serving way. And, and whether they preach it's only about money, which it's not, they do preach that it's about what you can get back. This is not a verse designed to see how much you can get. It's designed to see how close you can live to the lifestyle of Jesus and be generous in every single area. It's about being focused on other people. You give simply because you love the Lord and he's given to you, not because you're hoping to get something back. I want to summarize it this way. We'll put it on the screen for you. What I'm talking about this morning, it's about living your life focused on what you can do for other people. Really, that's what it boils down to. But I didn't want to tell you that a half hour ago because you might have left. You know, it's an important distinction. It defines the difference between me first, I'm going to give to you so that I get. No, no. It's a distinction to say, no, it's not about me, it's about you. It's not that I'm going to be kind because I need kindness. It's I'm going to be kind because I'm representing the kindest person that ever walked on the face of this earth. I love God so much. I want to follow Jesus so closely that I'm going to put your interest before my interest. Asking yourself, what does this person need? Maybe they need compassion right now. Maybe they just need a listening ear. Sometimes we get so irritated. We're thinking, doesn't this person know I've got things to do? 
And it's me focused instead of saying, you know, Lord, help me to really understand where this person's coming from and thank you for an opportunity to be like you and to be you to this person. A good way to practice that is at restaurants. And maybe some of you would be going out after service today. and You know, maybe or maybe not, the service would be up to your standard. Maybe it'll take the waiter or the waitress a long, long time to take your order or fill your water. But think about this whole idea of generosity. And when that person comes to your table... Instead of pointing to your watch or chewing them out, how about saying, you know, man, I can see you are really slammed here today. You're really busy. And I know you're doing your best, and I just want you to know I appreciate that. Can you imagine the spark that that would, that would just turn the whole atmosphere? That would make that person's day. A simple statement. Your words can be a breath of fresh air to people. And when the check comes, and you're filling in that amount, and you're thinking, you know, I should have got my food 90 seconds before I did. May the Lord help us say, wow, there's a single mom of three kids probably working two jobs. And maybe our spirit of generosity will not be so much about what we've received from that person, but the Holy Spirit can enlighten us into that person's situation and will be more other-centered. Isn't that what the Scripture says? Proverbs eleven twenty five: He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. You know, you've heard it. You can't outgive God. And that is true, not just in the area of finances, but in every area. But the real secret, you could even call it the best-kept secret to a generosity-based other's lifestyle, is that you come to a point that generosity is its own reward. Even if you don't see a harvest, just knowing you have done the right thing, just knowing you've blessed that person, generosity in itself can be its own reward. Kindness can be its own reward. May the Holy Spirit help us to begin shifting our thoughts in alignment with that of Jesus. Yes, giving is its own reward, but it's not its only reward. Because the scripture is true. When you give, you receive. And you receive with the same standard. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together. It's the law of the harvest starts with you and me, it comes back to us, and it's according to the standard we've set. So let's just bow our head for a moment and close our eyes so we're not distracted. And let's just let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts as individuals. Maybe an area of our life that we need to be more generous in our attitudes, in our actions. In our time, 
in our service, with our possessions. Lord, we give you permission to speak to us today. And then we give you permission to empower us through your Holy Spirit to be generous people, to emulate Jesus, to go the second mile, to practice the law of the harvest. And when you give back to us, may it not be so we can have bigger bank accounts or bigger pools of resources, but may it simply be so that we can be even more of a blessing to more people. Help us, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together.